Good morning, everyone. My name is Grant, if we haven't met before. And today it's a real privilege to be speaking to Harbor City in Durban and Restored Temecula and Restored Uptown in California. And today we're starting a new series together that we're going to be carrying on over the next while called Home Sweet Home. Now, before we carry on, I just want to mention that there is a question mark at the end of that title. You might have missed that in the design or even in the way I said that. But we should be pronouncing the series the way, uh, the way Ron Burgundy would. This is a Home Sweet Home kind of title. And I say that because under lockdown at this time, this time in the home with some of the people that we love most in the world should be incredible, special quality time. But for many of us, this time of lockdown has actually been quite difficult. I want to read you an excerpt from the South African president, Cyril Ramaphosa's latest email to our nation, where he kind of illustrates this problem. Since the outbreak of the coronavirus pandemic, violence against women has become a global problem. Last week, the United Nations Secretary General said in a video message that since restrictions were imposed by countries around the world to contain the coronavirus, women and girls were increasingly facing violence where they should be safest in their own homes. This is just one illustration that points to a far bigger problem, but lockdown is showing us the cracks that already exist in our own hearts and lives and homes. Now, for many of us, we are stressed and stretched at the moment, and maybe more so than we have been in our lives. And at this time, issues are starting to come to the surface and hurt those around us. You know, maybe it's the stuff we've been distracted from or too busy to deal with or kind of the issues that we've been able to put to one side and focus on other things for. All of a sudden now those are becoming key in this moment as they're hurting our spouses or our roommates or our friends or parents and kid relationships. And probably for all of us, whether you live on your own or whether you live with other people, you're seeing sin in your own heart, issues and things that need to be dealt with inside of your own soul. So because of this, Some of us are acting in ways that we normally wouldn't act because of the stress or this pressure or fear or uncertainty or whatever it is. Some of us are starting to do things that we wouldn't normally do. Maybe you've started to drink a little bit more than normal or to watch an extra episode or two or three of Netflix at the end of the day. Or maybe for you, you're just overeating and you know you shouldn't be, but you just see it as a form of comforting yourself with everything else that's going on in the world. Or maybe you're letting your words slip. You know, you know, where before you were quite self-controlled with what you said. Now all of a sudden your words have become a little bit more harsh, a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more cutting. I know for me, I've spent more time on my phone over the last couple of weeks than I normally would. Kind of taken off the screensaver thing from time to time so that I'm able to. And I've scrolled through Instagram a lot more than I would. And it's so ridiculous. While Over half of the world's population are under lockdown. I'm looking at these pictures and I'm coveting and I'm comparing and I'm feeling jealous and envious of other people's lives, even though for most of us, we're in a situation where we're locked down in our homes. Paul Tripp has got a helpful illustration to help us understand this. So imagine I was holding a bowl filled with milk. If I shook that bowl, what do you think would happen? There'd be milk everywhere. But if I was holding an empty bowl, it wouldn't matter how much I shook that bowl nothing is going to come out. And it's the same for us in this time of shaking with all of these stresses and pressures and this, uh, I guess, global pandemic that we're all facing. As we're dealing with this, what is inside of us is going to come out. Now, for for some of us, we've been thinking that this has been creating these issues, but actually it's just been revealing what already exists in our hearts, whether that is good or bad. And I do just want to say for some of you, under this pressure and in this shaking, it's just been a beautiful thing. 
you know, the, the fruit of the spirit, the, the, the Jesus stuff, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control of God is coming out of your lives and it is blessing the people around you and it is a beautiful witness to the Jesus that you follow. And for others, we know the stuff that's been coming out of our lives hasn't been so beautiful. We're maybe feeling a bit ashamed of some of the things that we've said or done or, or guilty about those things. And we know at this time more than ever before how much we need the grace and forgiveness of God in our lives. We see our need for a savior, for Jesus to continue his saving work inside of us, making him like himself. See, during this time of lockdown, the home has become the key place for us to work out what it means for us to be disciples of Jesus. So over the next while, we're going to go through a number of different passages where we speak about the home. But really, we're going under the surface to talk about the heart, to talk about sin, to talk about some of these things that have been coming to the surface and what it looks like for Jesus to come into the mess of all of that. So this morning, I'm going to be reading from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 9. And this passage says this, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Now, this small section of scripture, it's just verse 4 to verse 9, is a well-known passage that in Hebrew is called the Shema, which means to hear or to listen. Now, this passage is recited by Jewish people, both in the morning and in the evening, as prayer, along with passages in Deuteronomy 11 and Numbers 15, every single day. This is such a well-known and key cornerstone passage for the Jewish people. And on top of them reciting it every day, this is something that opens every Jewish service. And it is also the scripture that Jewish children are taught to memorize first. And their parents should be teaching that to them as they go to bed so that these would be the last words that they speak before they go to sleep. But why is this passage so important? And what does this passage have to say to us in 2020 in lockdown in our homes during a global pandemic? Well, let's go through verse four again which says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I think that sounds very poetic and cool, but what does it really mean? These verses have sometimes been seen as a positive way of reframing or restating the first two commandments in the Ten Commandments, which are one chapter before in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Those commands are that we should have no other gods above God and that we shouldn't make, serve, or worship any idols. Here we are being called to serve one God, to put him in first place in our life and in our homes and in our hearts. And now this time of lockdown and all the uncertainty caused by COVID-19 is exposing for many of us what is really in our hearts. And it's showing us that we actually serve many gods. We don't just serve one. And maybe Jesus isn't even in first place in our lives. Maybe for you in lockdown, you haven't seen it this way. But even as I'm speaking, you're starting to realize that you've been finding your identity in other gods other than Jesus. It could be your job. It could be your friends or your family. It could be your hobbies. It could be money. It could be one of those things. Or maybe you realize that you have been serving and living for and worshiping your job, your money, something else. And at this time, it's like God has shown you that while this has been stripped away from you in the shaking of what is going on, that actually you have turned from Jesus to follow idols. 
So this can be a good thing for us, as hard as it might be. This can be a good thing for us as we see the sin in our own hearts and the idols that we've been living for and serving all along. And we repent and come back to Jesus and we follow him for ourselves. And that is really the response we see in the next verse, verse 5, where we're commanded to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. Now in the New Testament, Jesus calls this the first and the greatest commandment. But I think there is a danger when we see this, is that when we read the words, love the Lord your God, we think of feelings and emotions. So we read that and think, well, the command is that we should have strong feelings and emotions towards God. And that is good. I hope that you feel strongly about him, that you're passionate about him, that you're hungry for him. And that during this time, actually, your love for him is growing more and more and more. But the problem with that is that our emotions and our feelings are just such a small part of who we are. And here in Deuteronomy 6, we see that we're being called to love God with all of us, our hearts, our souls, our strength, with every part of who we are. In entirety, we should be loving God, not just with a small part of who we are. So I want to highlight that. But I do want to speak about the heart today, because here we see that we're called to love God with all of our heart. But we're also told that the scriptures should come and live in our hearts. Now, in our society, the heart is viewed as dealing with emotions and feelings as opposed to kind of thoughts and thinking, which come more from the heads. But the, the word heart in the Bible means your roots, your, your core, your center from where everything else flows. So the heart deals with, yes, our emotions and our feelings, deals with our motives and our desires, but it also deals with our thoughts and our decisions and our worldview and our understanding. It's not either or, it's both and. So what is going on in our hearts is a big deal at this time, but always. In Proverbs 4 verse 23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So protect yourself from what could be coming in and influencing and affecting your heart. Curate what is going on inside your heart, what your heart is meditating on and feeling and desiring. Speak to your heart and lead your heart. Because what is inside of your heart will influence and affect the rest of your life, for better or for worse. That's why before this passage carries on, and before it speaks about the culture that should exist in our homes, we see that God is dealing with our hearts. Because what happens in our hearts will affect our homes. The state of our hearts will determine the state of our homes. And in our culture, probably the advice we are used to hearing, it's common sense advice, is that we should follow our heart. But I want to ask you today, what if your heart is unhealthy or sick? You know, what if you have left your heart unguarded and some things have gotten inside of your heart that are going to lead you astray, that are going to have a really terrible influence on you? Should you still follow it? Last year, at the end of December, I did a beautiful wedding out in the country. It was a really, really cool day. Uh, the couple looked amazing. It was in this amazing enclosed forest uh, it was with some people that I really love. Incredible food, dancing, the decor, just everything. It was a very, very special day. And the next morning, I woke up and I had a small little red bump on my hip, which I was so relaxed about, you know. I thought, oh, in a few days, this will be gone. Don't worry. After a few days, it had grown. I went and I spoke to a doctor friend of mine and he wrote me a script for some antibiotics, which I started to take. And I figured within a few days, I'm going to be fine. That Friday, I happened to drive him to the airport and he took another look at my side. And he said, listen, Grant, I would do it, but you need to go and get this thing lanced. And I thought, sheesh, this guy's overreacting. You know, this is just a small little bump. Um, this seems like a really big reaction. I'm sure it will be gone in a few days. But I listened to his advice. 
because my doctor was on leave, I ended up going to the hospital and they told me, come back in a few more days. And I did that. The 22nd of December, I went in for a quick cut, squeeze, a drain, a plaster, and to be sent on my way to enjoy the rest of the festive season. Instead, I ended up spending two nights in hospital. I ended up having a general anesthetic and an operation. I nearly missed our family Christmas lunch, and I nearly wasn't able to go away with our family on a holiday that we had been planning. They had to operate on me. They had to cut a chunk out of the side of my hip, which was about one centimeter or 0.4 inches deep. They had to cut about eight centimeters or just over three inches long. And they had to cut about four centimeters or one and a half inches wide. This was a really, really, really big gouge out of my side. When the doctor told me that's how much he was going to cut, I thought he was joking. You know, I thought this is just such a small little bump, doc. What are you talking about here? But he told me that the skin was necrotic and infected with poison, that the tissue was dead, and they needed to cut it out. Otherwise, the infection could spread and get worse. So I listened to him, and I trusted him, and I did what he said. After the operation, when they kind of opened it up and showed me, I was amazed that this wound was just open and exposed. They hadn't been able to seal it up or close it or do a skin graft or anything like this. This was just open and vulnerable and exposed and it would be until it healed over. When I asked the doctor why, he told me it's because if he sealed it up and there was any infection left in there, that it would spread and he would have to open it up and do the whole thing again. I needed my wound to be open and vulnerable and exposed for the next six or seven weeks so that it would have time to heal, which also meant there were some things I couldn't do. I couldn't swim on that family holiday. Um, I couldn't run or box or exercise. I couldn't bath over the next while. I had to just do quick showers and try and not let that wound get infected. But on top of that, my wife, Michelle, who was seven months pregnant at that time, had to take off the stinky, gross plaster and clean out my wound every second day, taking, sorry to be gross, but the old blood and pus and clean it out and make sure that there wasn't any infection and to keep it clean so that that didn't spread. She was seven months pregnant at the time. She only threw up and nearly passed out once. And I'm just saying that not to be extreme, but because it was such a gross thing, such a, an act of service and sacrifice for me. But I needed to rely on her and her help because I couldn't do this on my own. You see, this wasn't just a one-time operation. As much as I wish that's all it had been, just once go in, spend a night in hospital and go home. That would have been easy. But it also required seven weeks of new habits afterwards. It required that I stop some things and start some new things. And it required that I be vulnerable and open to ask for help from my wife, that she would be able to help me to get better because I couldn't do this on my own. Now, there is hurt and pain and regret and unforgiveness and bitterness and conflict and a bunch of other things going on in our homes at this time because our hearts are all infected by sin. And we can't be casual about that infection and think, you know what, it'll probably just go away in a few days. If we want to start uh, seeing change in our homes, we actually need to go down and deal with our hearts radically. We need to start by repenting. We need to bring the sin to God and own the fact that it is sin and ask him to forgive us. And maybe for some of us, come to those that we've sinned against in our homes and ask them to forgive us too. On top of that, we need to stop being proud or protecting our self-image or trying to be right or punishing others for their flaws because that is the stuff Jesus died for on the cross and that's the stuff that he wants to deal with in our hearts and our homes at this time. We need to bring the stuff to him in order to be forgiven and changed. 
And then we need the expert surgeon that is the Holy Spirit to come inside of our hearts and cut out some of the stuff that has been growing so that we can recover and be changed. On top of that, that wound is probably going to be exposed and vulnerable for a while. might feel pretty sore after you apologize and repent to God and to other people. might feel a little bit vulnerable and even a little bit numb. But this is part of the healing process. As we confess our sin, as we repent, as we ask other people for help and let them into these places in our lives, we begin to change. We might also need to start some habits and stop some old ones so that we're able to change. And here in this passage, it just gives us one. It highlights the importance of the word of God in changing our hearts and our homes. Deuteronomy 6 verse 6 to 9 says this. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. The first thing we're told to do in verse 6 is to internalize the word. The word should be in our hearts. David, the great Israelite king, said in Psalm 119 verse 11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. But what does this look like for us? Charles Spurgeon was a famous uh, British preacher. He was called the Prince of Preachers. And this illustration, I think, helps us to understand it better. Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the word of God and get that word into ourselves. As I've seen the silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it, so ought we to do with the word of the Lord. Not crawl over its surface, but eat right into it till we have taken it into our inmost parts. It is idle merely to let the eye glance over the words or to recollect the poetical expressions or the historical facts. But it is blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until at last you come to talk in scriptural language and your very style is fashioned upon scripture models. And what is better still, your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord. I would quote John Bunyan as an instance of what I mean. Read anything of his and you will see that it is almost like reading the Bible itself. He had read it till his very soul was saturated with scripture. And through his writings, and and those writings are charmingly full of poetry, yet he cannot give us his pilgrim's progress, the sweetest of all prose poems, without continually making us feel and say, why this man is a living Bible, prick him anywhere, his blood is bibline, and the very essence of the Bible flows from him. Now listen, I know that's a few hundred years old, that's old English, but it is still so powerful. Because what that quote is talking about is exactly what Deuteronomy 6 speaks about. That we would consume the word of God, that our spirit would be flavored by it, that our souls would be saturated with the scriptures, that our words would be like the essence of scripture, that our blood would be bibline, that the word of God would dwell inside of our hearts. And the kind of person that Deuteronomy 6 and Spurgeon and I are all talking about today is not the kind of know-it-all, self-righteous, judgmental, Christian stereotype we can have in mind. You know, Bible knowledge, Bible facts, Bible information, that doesn't make someone like Jesus. We're talking about the kind of person who devours the scriptures because they love him and they want to know him more. The word is in them because they want more of God for themselves. So the first thing that we should do is we should internalize the word. The second thing we see in verse 7 is that we should teach the word. It says, repeat them to your children, or you shall teach them diligently to your children in the ESV. 
Now listen, I'm a brand new parent, so this is all new to me. I'm getting used to this kind of teaching my children the word thing. So if you're not a parent, I don't want you to feel excluded from this verse and what is going on here. If you're in lockdown and you don't have kids with you, that's absolutely fine. This still applies to all of us in our homes. What we need to be asking ourselves as we read this is what does it look like for us to teach the word, to internalize the word, for the word to shape our lives and hearts and homes. But my little daughter, sweet, sweet August Rose, is seven weeks old at the moment. The first week of her life she spent in ICU because of some respiratory issues. And for the last three and a bit weeks, she's been in lockdown in our home. So as you can imagine, she hasn't been out much. And she hasn't seen a lot of the people that we love and that we would love her to spend time with. So she'll now kind of joke that she's our secret lockdown baby. And she's going to emerge as like this four-year-old at the end of all of this. And everyone's going to be amazed that she's this whole person. But we've been reading August her uh, Jesus storybook Bible over the last while and starting to teach her the scriptures. Now listen, I know a lot of it's not going in. I know she's not understanding the words that we're speaking. I, I don't expect her to be like this Greek and Hebrew scholar at this time. But we've started already because this is what happens in the Clark's home. We're Bible people, and that's not because I'm a pastor or because the Bible is my job. No, this is our lives. This is our home because we love Jesus. And we want his word to shape the home environment that we are creating. Our home will always be a home where the word of God, where the scriptures are read and talked about and thought about and meditated on and memorized and discussed and applied and internalized. Which means that we want to take time to read and discuss them as a family. And for little August, even though she doesn't understand what's going on now as we read to her and pray for her, she's growing up in an environment where that will be normal to her. That will be what people do, and it will shape her into a certain type of person. My hope over time is that as we read the scriptures to her and she becomes more familiar with them, she starts to internalize them a little bit, and as her questions become a little bit deeper, well, not that she's asking any questions yet, but as she starts to ask questions and as her questions become deeper, she'll start to read on her own, she'll start to apply this to her own life, she'll start to develop her own relationship with Jesus, and that she will internalize the word in her own heart. Verse 7 carries on, and it tells us to discuss the word. Talk about them when you sit in your house, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. What's going on here is that the scriptures are a source of ongoing conversation for Christians in their home and daily lives and everywhere they go. If we kind of modernize that a bit, I guess that would look like sitting at the table, sitting in the lounge, kind of driving in the car to work or to school or wherever you're off to. I guess that means pillow talk for couples, you know, just talking about the scriptures everywhere we are. This is not just a Sunday thing or a midweek thing or a church event thing. This isn't just a discipleship appointment thing where you meet with a leader or where you meet with someone that you're leading. No. The scriptures are woven into everyday parts of our lives. This is who we are and this is what we do. The word of God is in our lives and in our homes. Now, I found this uh, extract from an article that was published in 1970, about 50 years ago. And the article was called The High Price of TV. It was written by a guy named Joseph Bailey. And in it, he quotes the chief psychiatrist in the student health service at Harvard University, who at the time said this about television. The most serious problem of TV is not poor programming but that it has destroyed the average family's exchange of views and information at the evening meal. People are anxious to get to their favorite program, he says, and so they hurry to finish eating. Bailey says, what happened during the day, the little things, the bigger matters, are never discussed. 
And I think for us 50 years on, things are so much worse. We don't just have TV. We have a lot of TV. We don't just have good programming. We have lots of good programming. On top of that, we've got the internet. We've got phones. We've got uh, books. We've got so many things to distract and entertain us. But actually what can happen is at mealtime, we just touch base quickly and go off and do our own things. Just sit down in front of Netflix, eat our meal, watch a few episodes, and go to bed. And we're never discussing our lives, discussing the big and small parts of our days, thinking through how the scriptures speak into them. And way of life is not the vision of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here in this passage, we see a vision for our homes that is filled with God at the center, where our hearts are being changed, where the scriptures shape everything that we do, including our conversation. I guess you could say it would mean sitting around the dining room table or in the lounge for longer, just talking and sharing, lingering a little bit together and thinking through what God's word says to our lives. And I just want to point out that that's exactly what Jesus did with his disciples. They were there for his sermons. They were able to ask him questions. But so much of Jesus' ministry happened around a meal or happened as they were traveling from one town to the other or happened while they were having a braai on the beach or while they were fishing or while there was a storm on a boat or whatever it was. Jesus was teaching and discipling people in all of life. We'll end with the last two verses, verse 8 and 9. Bind them, bind the scriptures as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Now, we don't really interpret those scriptures literally. Otherwise, I guess we would have to wear like T-shirts with scriptures written on the front. Or definitely you need to have your WWJD bangle on. Or we'd be drinking tea and coffee out of mugs that had like an eagle or a waterfall and a scripture underneath. Uh, We don't really do that. But for many Orthodox Jewish men, they would. They would make these leather boxes or bracelets that would go on their arms and something for their forehead where they would put different scriptures inside so that it would represent that the scriptures were on their minds and on their hands. On top of that, they would put other little glass or metal case on the right-hand doorpost of all of the doors that led into their home that had scriptures inside of them too because they wanted the scriptures to be part of their home life and of everything that they did. But really what we see in this passage is a life saturated in scripture. We see that the word of God is talked about when we sit at home and when we're on the road. That's talking about our private and our public lives. We see that the scriptures are on the head and on the hand, which represents really our thoughts and our inner world and our hands, what what we do, our external lives. And we see that this is going on when we go to bed and when we wake up. This is This is an always kind of thing, not just on special occasions. And then in verse 9, we read, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Your house and out on the city gates. The picture here in the Shema is that the kingdom of God comes first in our hearts and then in our homes. And then from our homes, it spreads to the cities and to the ends of the earth. Our homes are both the basic building block of society and of the kingdom of God. That is why they're so important during this time of lockdown. And each Sunday at the moment, what we're doing, whether you're on your own or whether you're with your spouse or friend or roommate or kids or whoever's in your home, is we're gathering together around the city and the cities of the world to worship Jesus, to study the scriptures, to learn, to grow, to be formed and shaped into his image as his people. But this is not just for our home's sake. This is not just so that we can have a home sweet home situation. God's intention has always been that what he does inside of his people is for the world. 
And as we come out of lockdown, my hope is that what God is doing inside of us in this time would bless the city, would bless our continents, would bless the world. That actually we would come out of lockdown and come out of this time where God has worked inside of our hearts and that we would come out and share his love. That we would be part of the renewing work that he is wanting to do among the people and the neighborhoods all around us. That we would see what he has done in our hearts and homes spread out. So I want to ask you today, how are you going to respond to this passage? What is the Spirit saying to you? For some of us, I think it could be firstly repenting to God of some of the things that we've let slip in our lives and that we've been doing over the last while. And maybe after that, to repent to those of uh, those around you who've been hurt. The second thing is maybe we need to slow it down a little bit. Actually spend more time around the dining room table or in our lounge, like having conversations, talking about our days, what's going on inside of our lives. What do the scriptures say about those things? Maybe even reading a good uh, Christian book or a book of the Bible together and discussing it in uh, ones or twos or even on Zoom. Maybe it could be to have a devotional time with your family or on your own each day, if that's not something that you're used to, where you read the Bible and pray and listen to what God is saying to you. Or lastly, this could be about going public with your faith. Maybe your faith has always been a very private, personal thing that no one else really knows about. And maybe at this time you feel like God is doing stuff in you so that you can share his love with those around you. Whatever it is, how will you respond to what Deuteronomy 6 says today? Let me pray for us and we'll close. Father God, I ask you even now all around the world as we meditate on this passage that you, Holy Spirit, would come and put on our hearts the way that you would have us respond. I pray even now, Jesus, that you would empower us to change, to put to death our old ways, to become more like you. And actually in our homes, Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. And that actually from our homes as this lockdown ends, that your kingdom would spill out onto the streets. And that actually what you have been doing in us would bless many, many people and show them your beauty. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.